0: Hi there, so this podcast will be about, um, signs, significance, signifiance, um, and basically subculture, um, I think subculture and the Lost Boys are the best way to, um, explain the ideas of vampire vintage, visage, and, um, what's another word, vampire vintage, and I think, yeah, that's it if if I remember the other word, I'll come back to it, but anyway, um vintage was very uh interesting because I will be talking about vintage subcultures um, I'm gonna be looking at this book by Dick Hebridge called subculture the meaning of style i'm gonna briefly be talking about it i have so many notes it's gonna be hard for me to narrow it down but i think i can do it um and then visage goes with the masquerade of um the people are still trying to bring the subculture back to life even though it may never ever be back to that same um cold war pre-cold war era lifestyle that we used to have Um, so, um, the visage that we all have is a bit of a masquerade trying to bring that old vintage lifestyle back. Um, but also vampires, my big topic that all these videos are going to come back around to, um, are very interesting because they deal with the masquerade of pretending to be a human, but they have a monster inside of them. And this, I, they really hold on to the vintage because most of them are really old. And even the ones that aren't, they go back to vintage. Um, they always have to go back to the vintage, to their leaders, um, just like a pack mentality. Um, they're not very cat-like. They're very much wolf pack-like, just like subcultures are in general. And that's what I want to be focusing on. Um basically um Roland Barthes talks about the ideas of significant significance. I'm going to be I'm going to bring them up now um before we talk too much about each of these different groups. Um uh, I'm going to be talking about the hippies, beatniks, mods, and hard mods, the teddy boys, the skinheads, and then how um People of color, particularly black people, had a different group from, um, the white subcultures. Um, Roland Barthes' signifiance is the process of subject escaping a deconstructed, unconscious, um, portrayal. So, basically, the signifiance is what's actually being signified um so let's say somebody is walking around with a mohawk their significance is that um a lot of people will think that they're talking about native americans and trying to bring back native american culture but their signifiance is kind of like a defiance it's they're trying to say oh well this clearly shows like a rooster's type hairstyle um a male rooster also called a cock so i'm telling freud basically maybe this is what they were doing maybe not some people don't think about freud but this is just an example um i'm telling freud to fuck off because i don't really care if he thinks i have penis envy here's a big penis on my head right so that's the signifiance the signified is what's actually portrayed regardless of what was wanted So it's not the significance of what it means. It's the signified of, wow, this rich kid had a lot of money to put all this hair glue and hair dye in their head. Um, And so that's kind of this. I bring up this example because it's really important for when we start talking about how these subcultures actually make things worse sometimes rather than making them better for poor people, which is their main target. The sign is the conscious decision of the thing that means something else. Um, It usually has a code, but it's changing. The sign is changing. So their sign could be originally the pinkness of their mohawk. So they're feminizing the mohawk. But in reality, somebody might pursue, might see that as just ironic or humorous. Um, And then the signification. Um. is the process that isn't disappearing. So the signification is starting to become more feminine. The mohawk is becoming more feminine through time. The signifier um, is what's deconstructed and actually portrayed rather than what was unconsciously portrayed. So the signifier is um, maybe it isn't the hair at all. Maybe... The signifier is that the person has a lot of fancy clothes on or maybe a lot of ripped clothes on and they're wondering, wow, why are they doing their hair like that when they already have everything they want or they look poor because of their outfit? Wow, why are they doing that when, you know, it's the signifier is kind of a distraction from the main thing. So maybe why are they spending their money on their hair instead of their clothes? Something like that. And so I bring that up because the process of signs is usually political in nature. Or at least has some kind of meaning behind it. But, um, just like with vampires, um, there's still a hierarchy. And there will always be a commodification. Um, I talk about Lost Boys specifically because of their role in thievery. Um, you know the band Thievery Corporation? Well, um... In the Lost Boys, they did they specifically just caused a lot of ruckus and stole people, stole kids, and tried to make them one of them, or they would become their victim. Um, kind of like the Lost Boys if of Peter Pan, which is what this movie was named after. Um, the commodifying of their subculture is they were kind of, kind of like how David Bowie was accused of being a pedophile, because he um which I will be talking heavily about because David Bowie is big, he's a big asset and um, detriment for subcultures. Um, But they basically are preying upon younger people by being interesting and cool. And I'm not saying all of us are like that, but um, the whole thing about um, trying to find their victims because they look cool and they look interesting, kind of like... At a carnival, you get um, people are like more likely to go throw rings at the ring toss if they are targeted by somebody who's interesting or funny. It's kind of the same thing, um, and it's a good way for predators to bring onto their prey. Just like with peacocks, peacocks attract mates because of their colorful tails, and um, I argue. (laughs) And I will be arguing in part two and three um, more about how this commodification has become such a part of popularized culture that it's no longer subculture. It's no longer part of predator and prey culture. Um, It's not really a sacrificial rights kind of thing anymore. It's just more like R-I-G-H-T rights where everybody has a right to kind of look this way. And so what does that mean? If we've gotten rid of the metamorphosis and um, it's just become kind of popularized, what does that mean? Um, T.S. Eliot um, and Althusser become a little bit uh, important here because T.S. Eliot um, views punk and religion, well, actually, he was way before, um, punk, but his, um, portrayal of the subcultures of his time showed that, uh, punk can be kind of a martyr, um, subculture, um, just like Christianity, and when you wear your safety pins or all these different things that attract attention and show the issues with consumer culture, Are you actually helping or is it just kind of like Christ walking around like begging for attention? There were plenty of people who didn't agree with Christ and laughed at Christ. And um, Altusere talks about this with the teeth gritting sensation, which again, back to teeth and vampires. What do we mean by teeth gritting? Teeth gritting as in being excited. Just that action, just like with the mohawk, can have so many different meanings. It can be teeth gritting um, as in fear, as in anxiety, as in excitement, as in waiting for more to happen, as in hoping that less happens, hoping nothing more happens, and that's when I bring up, actually, Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Um, the big assets of this book, from my notes, were identity and personality, and that he was just, he felt like he was letting too much happen. It's extremely similar to The Last Boys*. And it reminds me also of um, Nietzsche. Um, What's interesting about this book, Metamorphosis, was it was really short and it wasn't very realistic. It was pretty obvious that what was happening was either a fantasy that we were reading or it was supposed to be realistic. But it showed us that this guy was using heavy metaphors, which would make sense. Metamorphosis, metaphor, metaphor meta as in everything that this person feels like is going to happening but not really but also kafka was diagnosed with schizophrenia and it could have been actually what he thought was happening because it was so strange to him that his family was like against him they were against him being vegan they kept trying to change his viewpoints um in mistresses of the dark um a compilation of female horror authors there's actually a whole section about him getting a letter from his dad where his dad was like, you don't understand what you put me through and just victim blaming. And instead of being like, okay, let's just let this go and get on the same page. And I think it's very interesting. I want to make a couple of notes here about the six different things Nietzsche talks about or Nietzsche talks about at the beginning of his book. Um, And then... Part 2 and 3 of my podcast, they will be in two different parts. Um, I, I was going to have it all as one, but it was just getting too long and I felt like I was rushing what I was saying. Um, those ones will talk more about the book subculture and some readings that the author Dick did. Um, but first, we're going to do more background on the significance and what that means. Significance versus signifiance. Um, and the defiance, insignifiance. When I find the name of this book real quick, hold on. Sorry. Nietzsche, 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 Nietzsche. Beyond Good and Evil. Um, he's talking about the grayness and, um, In life, and I will be talking about the difference between black and white um, Taoist based subcultures, even though they might not know they're Taoist, they do have some of the similar fundamentals to Taoism, um, versus the more gray, in between kind of oh, everything is kind of murky and vague um, type of subcultures. So Nietzsche says, There is no truth that we seek when we ask about untruth. Who is Oedipus and who is the Sphinx. So um, he was looking at other people's work. He was looking at Freud and Oscar Wilde here. Um, and he has a good point about what signifiance can mean. There is no truth that we seek, we just ask about untruth. So we're not seeking for the sign in the first place. We are just asking for a reason to not trust the sign. We are just asking about what could possibly be something else that we might signify. So even if you are trying to signify something with your style, subcultures fail because people will always be asking for what the not-truth is and trying to say, well, it could still be that way, like with the slippery slope fallacy, like with gay marriage. Conservatives were trying to find out how um, there was a possible, even though they knew it was untrue that we would allow incestual marriage they were just looking for that untruth that could possibly happen and bringing up this crazy extreme radical possibility as one reason not to allow gay marriage and that's what happens when people stand out they they kind of not i don't want to victim blame and say they bring it upon themselves but they do get this they harbor this reaction two things can't relate from other origins they can't recreate from other origins. And anyone is in, that is in doubt of their value, which is perspective. But it can be copying or the perspective. Um, I made a note about Wordsworth and Shelley, who I will bring up later. Um, Wordsworth was more of a hippie type with his writing. And he was always optimistic. Shelley was more, um, well you know playing the devil's advocate kind of like Nietzsche but Nietzsche is way more nihilistic um Schally was more fatalistic seeing the dark side of the things that could happen in the world but Nietzsche was way fatalistic um uh sorry not fatalistic nihilistic saying that that didn't matter either um things cannot create from the origin origins that anyone can doubt them of Is basically what he's saying here. Uh, I'm going to look at my notes from Nietzsche's book real quick. Because I'm a little bit confused on what that means. Sorry about that. Um, Let's see. It's the belief in the antithesis of values. So, things cannot create themselves without a source and nowhere else. So, um everything comes from something else so if if you're trying to change something like we t- will talk about with Susie and how she used to wear swastika as irony just to make fun of it um it's she's still um showing that she has a belief in the anti-thesis of values Which means that she could directly bring everybody back to the antithesis of her values, just like she was doing. And so, is she really helping anything by mocking? Because then people can mock her, too. Um, Three. Oh, and I'll actually wait. Before I bring that up. I want to use this um, quote real quick right here. Um about uh the omnibus dubidantum, and it has to do with um it may be doubted whether the antithesis exists at all, so um does it exist even um maybe she really is just using that as a backup plan to stick up for herself, but maybe she really did agree with the swastika, okay, anyway, three. What is conscious is not so conscious. It's just instinctive and intuitive. Um, so what is self-improvement? What is fashion? What is any of this stuff? It's not that conscious. It's just instinctive and intuitive. And it shows you that, you, like, if people are like, look at me, I'm just poor. People can still see, like, oh, wow, you have a lot of knowledge in fashion. You have a lot of knowledge to make your hair look so nice. You have a lot of knowledge... If you're showing all this instinctive and intuitive stuff, it doesn't really seem like it was just put together and do it yourself in just a second. We can tell that you've been putting effort into thinking about this look for a while. So um, if you're trying to signify one thing, but there are so many signs that show something else, are you really being constructive? Or is it pretty obvious that there's some sort of a facade And that you didn't just throw your outfit or your personality together. And do we ever really do that? Is it true that we ever really have an opportunity to just throw stuff together? Or is there always some sort of planning that goes in there? And maybe following the trends actually shows less ability. And maybe it's kind of classist in a way to draw attention to all of uh, how poor people kind of look um on purpose and say that you're part of a subculture um maybe it's more classes to do that rather than just go to a thrift store and buy something like why do you have to go why do you have to show off that you're so good at sewing an outfit together when somebody else is really just not very good at doing that and they just wear whatever they see at the store so in a way you're being more classes by being like no i'm just standing up for poor people being cool and wearing stuff that shows the Rebellion of an outfit and shows the rebellion of making stuff yourself, but i don't know if that actually helps four we must compare reality with imagined worlds of absolute and in mutable or the counterfeit so our what that means is we must compare what we're actually seeing with this counterfeit um world that we can't quiet so yeah we see what you're showing us um but what what kind of imagined counterfeit world do you think is going to happen when it's immutable that not everybody can be um standing up for something until we realize oh everybody's standing up for something else and we're not all on the same page because the more unique you get in order to stand up for diversity, before long it's so diverse that nobody can even see eye to eye. So does it actually help at the end of the day? 5. There's no objectivity or originality in philosophy. Heart, the heart influences and seeks arguments defending after an event. And maybe that event didn't happen to somebody else. It doesn't really make a lot of difference because there is no objectivity or originality. You were already getting it from somebody else. So to say that you're an original, there is no way to do that. Um that one I think speaks for itself. I'm already at twenty one minutes and I try to keep these podcasts under thirty minutes, so I'm almost done. Six. The unconscious biography and confessionalism, this kind of goes back to number one, about looking for the untruth, and number two, um, things can't be created unless they're from other origins. Um, there is an unconscious biography and confessionalism found in philosophy. Um, so regardless of how you, like me, for example, talking about this philosophy, even though I'm part of a subculture and I do admit that I do think that there's a benefit to, um, DIY and, um, standing out and standing up for a difference, I am showing my unconscious biography right now of how I kind of doubt everything about my own subculture, but I also doubt being a part of a non-subculture because I feel like there's no adventure or fun in that, and if I'm being classist instead of helping classism i feel like no matter what i do that will happen to an extent um the impulses themselves philosophize imperiously for others so again we're going to close off with what um part two is going to be about and that is that no matter what if you're philosophizing even anti-philosophy like nietzsche is nietzsche is admitting that he is still being imperious trying to get people under his side even though he's saying i'm trying to get you under my wing and on my side to be against all sides so it's kind of that's that's exactly what subculture is like and he was one of the earliest people to talk about the um existential crisis that is subculture in and of itself well thank you and now i'm gonna start recording part two